The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. And yet, I ask you, is not an alien force already among us? Exopolitics, paranormal phenomena, and deep analysis of current world events from somewhere in the desert between Area 51 and Roswell, blasting across the planet, the Manticore Network proudly presents Veritas. Because the truth will set you free. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Force has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I think it's time to open the books on the question of government investigations of UFOs. Uh, we ought to do it really because it's right. We ought to do it because the American people, quite frankly, can handle the truth. And we ought to do it because it's the law. Be skeptical. Do be as skeptical as you want, but by all, don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world and a warm welcome to a special edition of the Veritas Show, where we bring you disclosure, one guest at a time. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, make yourself at home. As usual, I want to thank all our members. You are keeping Veritas alive. And although our one-year anniversary happened a few days ago, on December the 5th, Tonight is when we celebrate it. I wanted to bring one of our favorite guests back. And since the latest Alta report just came out, he accepted another invitation. Cliff High is now officially a fixture of the Veritas show. Cliff will be with us shortly. And in addition to tonight's explosive interview with Cliff High, I'm also adding another interview this week, a bonus of my exclusive interview with Zachariah Sitchin. This interview will only be available to members, so I hope you join tonight and start the new year with Veritas. I have to tell you, I'm extremely honored, privileged, and humbled by the fact that you are here listening after one year on the cyberwaves. What was supposed to be an improvised telephone call that I wanted to keep as a souvenir turned out to be something more serious than I ever expected. The first show, the first month, the first six months with Alfred Weber, but one year really means so much to me. 
although I'm not receiving any awards. I must act as if I'm the recipient of one. You see, without you, Veritas would have died a long time ago. I want to thank all of you who have contributed from the beginning with your assistance with research, feedback, questions, recommendations, making videos on YouTube to help us spread the word. There are too many people to thank. Then you'll remember, after six months, I could not do the show the way it was done before, and I had to consider canceling the show for lack of resources or adopting a subscription model in order to make the show be self-sufficient. I'm happy to report that there are new members joining on a daily basis. And when I say that I'm not the recipient of any awards, that's not entirely true. Every time a new member joins, to me, that is one award you are giving me. It is a vote, an award of confidence. Also, I want to thank all our guests who have been with us this year and for taking a chance on this unknown show, especially Dr. Milton Torres, who believed Veritas was an established show. I have learned something from every guest, and to be quite honest, 2009 was training and a learning curve for me. 2010 is when Veritas will be truly flourishing, and as long as you continue to support me and spreading the word, Veritas will go on. We'll continue exploring every corner of the world to bring the knowledge that has been so difficult to obtain through traditional channels. Take next week's show, for example. I'm introducing a mystery guest and have no doubt that you will truly enjoy all of what that show will cover. Many people ask me, what's next for Veritas? The answer is, I don't know. Just like I don't know what would happen after the Milton Torres telephone call. I simply posted it somewhere and people reacted to it. I don't know what the future will bring. With every week's new show, it is a new adventure, and that's my focus. I'm enjoying this journey and learning with all of you as we go along. The truth, in my opinion, is not a destination, but a journey full of twists and turns. And my hope is that with every show, we'll discover something new. One of our loyal listeners, my dear friend Jeff from the United Kingdom, really illustrates this well, and I'd like to share the following with you. Quote, Hi Mel, thinking about the Veritas anniversary, I thought it would be interesting and fun to list just some of the issues that interest me the most and compare my viewpoint before and after Veritas. Mel, please note, sometimes it's not always the show directly that changes my mind. Often, it's the research your show triggers me to do, which is even better. 9-11 conspiracy, before Veritas, completely unconvinced. What utter rubbish. After Veritas, mind has been blown wide open on this one, trying to stop brain from falling out. Moon landing. Did we go to the moon? Before? Yes. After? Absolutely still yes. Alien structures on the moon. Before? Emphatic no. After? Um, actually maybe. Alien abductions. Before? No. After? Yes, but still completely unconvinced by all hypnotic regression recollection. Are we being visited by ETs? Before? Yes. After? Absolutely bloody yes. Roswell UFO crash? Before? Yes. 
After? Yes. Reinforced thanks to Dr. Edgar Mitchell. Philip Corso, real deal? Before, had never heard of him. After, despite Stan Friedman's protestations, I think there is some truth there. Same also for Billy Meyer and Bob Lazar. I think these three demonstrate that the Simfo programs really do exist. Disclosure pending. Before, no. After, there does seem to be activity, but perhaps the people up top know less than we think. New World Order. Before, firm no. After, my rock-solid original opinion has all but disintegrated. You've turned my little world upside down, Mr. Fabregas, and I'm not best pleased. Population reduction conspiracy. Before, no. After, I think they will do whatever they think they must do. 2012 Mayan prophecy. Before, never heard of it. After, now I've heard of it, will come in further on the 22nd of December 2012. Hopefully. False flag. Before, never heard of the concept. After, thank you Veritas, I'm now on red alert. The Virginia Brazilian Roswell. Before, intrigued. After, cannot answer. Young Mr. Fabregas must try even harder to deliver on this project, laughing out loud. You see, Jeff is a fan of AJ Gevard from Brazil. I have tried a few times to get in touch with AJ to no avail. So if anyone can make contact, this is an invitation. And the last one, Harp. Before Veritas, knew absolutely nothing about it. After Veritas, research commenced with opinion pending. That really is what Veritas is all about for me. Thanks, Mel, and thanks, Veritas. Loyalty guaranteed, my dear friend, Jeff, unquote. I think this is great, and I hope we can have more of these exercises right on the forum. I've opened a thread that before and after for Veritas. I'd like to hear from you. And don't forget about giving the gift of truth. Truth certificates are available for three, six months, and one year. Are you still thinking on what to give? Do you want to give something that won't be put away forever? Give something that may change someone's life. Also, I want to thank those of you who continue donating subscriptions. We'll also continue doing my part and will donate one for every one you donate. Together, we can make a difference for the less fortunate. You can also transcribe shows and that will really help me out and you'll get a free subscription as well. Visit the free subscription link of the Veritas website, veritasshow.com. Oh, and those of you who have asked for t-shirts, mugs, caps, bumper stickers, and more, you got it. I will be adding more items regularly. Just go to the Veritas store link on our website and place your order there. I'm sure EXO will be very happy for you to display him wherever you go. And this will also be very useful to those of you who go to the many different conferences around the world. I remember at Dr. Stephen Greer's CSETI conference, since people hear me on the show but don't know how, how I look like, they didn't know until I was wearing my Veritas shirt on the second day. And that's when people started approaching me and saying hello. That was a great experience. Take a picture of yourself with your shirt or your sticker or, or your cap or what have you. I will open a Veritas gallery soon so you can share them with us. And now, get ready for another roller coaster ride with Cliff High. Learn how to navigate the sea of uncertainty that may be approaching. If you want to stay in the matrix, turn on your TV. If you want to learn the art of threat management, 
and be awake and aware. Don't go anywhere. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to The Veritas Show. Catherine Austin Fitz, and you're listening to The Veritas Show. Cliff, hi, and George, your two self-described time monks shared dire predictions based on the WebBot technology. Their method captures changes in language patterns within internet discussions. This aggregated data is then processed with software to determine various keywords, which they interpret in a predictive fashion. For the coming months, and to recommend developing self-sufficiency and the ability to live off the grid. The WebUp project, developed in the late 1990s, was created to assist in making stock market predictions. The technology uses a system of spiders to crawl the internet and search for keywords, much like a search engine does. When a keyword is located, the bot program takes a snapshot of the text preceding and following the keyword. The snapshot of text is sent to a central location where it is then filtered to define meaning. The project's concept is aimed at tapping into the collective unconscious of the universe and its inhabitants. As well, there's an interesting time concept involved and an unusual concept of a tipping point regarding the past, current, and future times. In 2001, the BUD operators began to notice that stock market predictions were not the only matters being accurately predicted by the program, and they began to take notice of the coincidence with occurrences and explored it further. One of the first accurate predictions from the bot program took place in June of 2001. At that time, the program predicted that a life-altering event would take place within the next 60 to 90 days, an occurrence of such proportion that its effect would be felt worldwide. The program based its prediction on its filtered web chatter content, which ultimately represents the collective unconscious of society. Regrettably, the program's prediction proved accurate and the Twin Towers fell on September the 11th, 2001. And this is where it starts to become really interesting. The BOT program also predicts a worldwide calamity taking place in the year 2012. With us tonight, he is back. One of the creators of the WebBot project, Cliff High. Hello again, Cliff, and welcome to the Veritas Show. Cliff, hi, one more time. How are you? Doing fine. Thank you very much for inviting me again. My pleasure, as usual. This is actually far better uh, sound quality than I'm getting off of my phone, though, because of the constant interruptions from whoever the hell is tapping it. Uh, you, you also get that? Oh, yeah, it's constant. Yeah. We got disconnected 24 times uh, with uh, Dr. Paul LaViolette a few weeks ago. So uh, I, I heard that. It was just amazing. Yes. I know. And then can you send me your uh, snail mail address uh, via email? Okay. Okay. In the future, we're thinking we may um, ship out DVDs and stuff if, if uh, communications require that um, uh, method. 
The internet may be unreliable later. Oh, my. Is that a sign of things to come? Uh, I believe so, yeah. Oh, wow. By the way, who's Igor? Um, this is an individual that I used to work with in a, uh, another capacity when we were both employees. Okay. He's a, a highly trained ex-military uh, network supervisor. Okay. And, and he's also worked uh, repeatedly in the phone companies, as I have. So we share something of a common background, and he does the hardware stuff. He has real, really no interest in software, although he loves to do scripting. Um, and in my sense, he's sort of a poor guy caught between the generation I'm in as a pioneer in the software and uh, the script kiddies that are behind us in the Gen X. Somebody, the reason why I ask you, somebody has a question, and he says, and I'm going to ask you, all of it right now, but he says, when are you going to release Igor back to the wild? So I didn't know what he meant. <laughs> oh, it's really funny. Uh, okay. Igor runs my servers. Uh, I used to run them myself, but it became a real pain to do the, uh, to baby all this old equipment. We were always co constantly buying, you know, uh, four-year-old hard drives and this sort of thing to keep keep going and build yeah. our uh, raid array. So, um, uh, but yeah, poor Igor is now actually out in the wild east of the mountains, uh, out scouting caves at elevation and living the good life on a 31-acre farm. Oh, great, great. Cliff, this is the one-year anniversary of the Veritas show, and people have very high expectations. But the last show we did together was really great, and we have uh, great questions from people all over the world for you. Well, let's dive into them then. Well, I frequently get email from people saying, at least once a week, When are you having Cliff back again and again? Oh, you poor fellow. <laughs> and as soon as the next, I tell him, as soon as the next Alter Report comes back, uh, we can do it. And uh, so here we are, new Alter Report right off the press. And I have to tell you the, the truth. Things really are not good. We know that. But something inside of me wants to ask you, can we find a glimmer of hope by the end of this show? Do you think that's possible? Uh, I certainly do, uh, especially because it's um, uh, we need to differentiate between fear management and threat management. And once we get to the point where we can accept the fact that we are fear-ridden and sort of like eat our fears, then we can concretely and um, adultly deal with the threats that cause those fears. And that's no big deal. And before we start, and uh, before I ask you what's new and a summary of the latest Ulta, which, by the way, I want to dissect. A lot of the questions will be dissecting the latest report. You and I had a conversation a few days ago about uh, Gary McKinnon, the, the alleged yes. hacker. And I say alleged because... Yeah, no, no. Actually, let me say definitively, he did not hack. And he didn't crack. And these have very specific definitions in the software world. Yes. What he did was find an open door and walk through it. And the shame in this lies on those uh, individuals that were so careless as to use image progression um, network uh, software installation with, with st stupidly with no, no passwords, no security. It's not McKinnon. It's the, uh, it's the Air Force. And I think that's the most embarrassing part, to admit that he didn't even have to crack the code to get it. He basically found an IP or a, a URL, just went in and got the information that he wanted. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it was absurd. I mean, they, they quite literally let, left it open for uh, system-level privileges uh, for just supplying a password of the word password, or in many cases, nothing at all. And by the way, it's, I... Tr I tried to get in touch with his mother, and I did just to have him on the show and have him talk more a few months ago. But basically, I think that they were expecting some leniency, and that's why they kept a low profile. But as you know, the extradition process is in motion. I heard yeah. you are also doing something for Gary. 
and you gave me the green light the other day to present it to, to my audience. But I thought it would be more appropriate if you did. So tell us, what are you doing to help Gary? Well, I'm trying to do sort of a back-channel assistance for the fellow. And basically what I've done is I've offered a free copy of the report to any member of law enforcement, uh, serving law enforcement, or serving military uh, in the United States or out of it. It doesn't matter, really, NATO, anybody. And all you have to do is send me an email with Gary McKinnon in either the subject or the uh, body of the text, noting that, of course, as it passes through Echelon, it'll start racking up different hits in their internal who's talking to who networking uh, scanning software. And so I, I intend to um, uh, shift the balance of power, so to speak, because right now they feel that, uh, well, uh, it is inevitable. The, they have set process in motion where Gary McKinnon faces the, quite actually, the uh, fierce jaws of the beast, and the beast thinks it's running downhill towards poor Gary. And what I propose to do is to start throwing small stones and eventually lots of small stones in its way as these interlinks start building up and they start finding out how many people within their own military uh, are on the side of Gary McKinnon. It'll also start um, skewing their statistics relative to what they think they're learning from his name being bandied about. So in essence, a lot of people have inadvertently, this is a secondary issue here, a lot of people uh, in the woo-woo, what I call the woo-woo community, have inadvertently exposed themselves to uh, identification through this networking software because they've been discussing Gary McKinnon in emails and on the uh, and online. And as a result of which, they very easily were mapped out. I was able to do it with no trouble at all with my spiders. I could tell you who's talking to who and, uh, and build a virtual network of all of these people. And so what I decided to do when I realized what was actually available in the sense of that view was to muddy the water, so to speak, and provide a masking layer that would make such information useless to the powers that be. Make sense? Yes, it does. And hopefully we're going to have some people military, law enforcement, listen to this. And can this really make a difference, you think? It certainly can. We already have. We're already starting to rack up uh, cross-connections. And basically what happens is every time one of these emails goes through the uh, email system, it goes to a router and eventually ends up in Echelon's hands. And then the software dissects it and says, who sent it to whom? And what was the subject and the body? And it looks for all these key words, perhaps several million for all I know. It's done at a supercomputer level, and they just plow through the text like anybody could. Actually, it'd be fun, cool software to write. But it, but uh, then they make up links and they start saying, well, so-and-so has got, a, this guy is actually a hub of a network in the sense that he's talking to these people and these people and these people about these subjects that we find sensitive. And so it starts providing a layer of information about these interconnects. And what I intend to do and have already accomplished is by forming a different group of people that are discussing it that they will not be able to discreetly remove because of the conditions that I've put on this whole arrangement, uh, they're in, I'm in essence going to balloon out the woo-woo universe for them by hopefully uh, um, several orders of magnitude, in which case they're, they would be looking, in essence, what I'm going to do is to provide the haystack around the needle. Oh, I see. So what is it? what do you expect? What is the end result of, of this uh, project, if you will? That... Um, uh, well, at two levels. At the more base level, I expect that they will not be able to provide pinpoint harassment on people in the woo-woo community who had previously discussed Gary McKinnon um, in an honest and open and, and in sort of an innocent way, right, trying to help him or whatever. 
and then the secondary issue is that it will make the whole Gary McKinnon issue much larger relative to the amount of traffic that's flowing through Echelon. And that's how a lot of these people are making decisions because they have other software, for instance, that guides the people who actually go and sift through the data and the data mining. And they have this software that does it on a fuzzy logic basis that says, ooh, ooh, in, in actually in a similar sense to some of our software. And the software gets all excited when it runs across a bunch of the same kind of words passing through in an unexpected fashion. It's looking for uh, shifts in language on a real-time basis in a uh, supercomputer, and, whereas we do it on a static basis. In any event, uh, it would suddenly see that there's a lot more chatter about Gary McKinnon. That'll rise up to somebody's uh, report. It'll eventually go all the way up to where uh, uh, decisions are made at the uh, level, say, several layers down from the president. And within those decision levels, uh, they'll just see that, well, hey, used to be that it, we had 19% uh, of the woo-woo community discussing Gary McKinnon. Now, all of a sudden, it's 85%. And it's crept over 15% into the mainstream. What's going on? And do we need to be careful here? Because bear in mind, all these people work under the cover-your-ass uh, uh, principle for, their, for most of their motivation. And at some point, we'll, they'll find that when official requests are made about the status of the Gary McKinnon case, they will find a much larger set of awareness about it than they had anticipated, which I hope will tip the decision-making in Gary McKinnon's favor. And one last thing about Gary, and then we'll start dissecting the latest Ulta. I always think that if he is finally extradited to the United States and, and put on trial, wouldn't the defense ask for him to talk about what he saw? And then the United States may say, no, you didn't. That does not exist. Because if they admit what he saw, wouldn't that be an admission of extraterrestrial life or perhaps technology and block projects and, and a secret space program? Yes, exactly. Basically, they are caught between Gary and a really rough spot uh, because in order to prosecute him, they effectively, realistically, they would have to bring out um, uh, stuff that they know. However, I don't expect it to go that way. There's no real reason that they need prosecute him out in the open in any way, shape or form. Their issue as to whether or not uh, the, the issue they have to establish is whether or not they've been harmed. If they, if they can't cross that barrier, then they do have some legal issues relative to a defense that could be mounted to get him out uh, if they can't actually prove a state of damage. So that's another issue. Uh, Ed Grimsley is out there with um, his night vision uh, goggles checking out all of the stuff flying around and basically is attempting to make, as part of the public record, the uh, uh, actual photos and movements of the a supposed non-existent uh, black ops fleet, or whatever we're to call it, you know, right. off-planet, uh, extraterrestrial, Navy, Air Force, whatever the thing is. And I've actually got a pair of those goggles, and I've seen some of the activity that he has uh, reported with my own eyes. I just don't have the ability at this point to put it on video. Uh, the goggles don't lend themselves easily to uh, cross-connecting to cameras and stuff. So you have to do a little bit of manufacturing, which I will do when I have the, the time here. But in any event, plus I don't have the opportunity in the weather being sucked in. But in any event, if there's enough of this information in, put out into the public record, then prosecuting Gary again becomes kind of a moot uh, sort of a deal. And yet they don't ever have to admit anything, so to speak. I, I actually do not expect that that would ever arise, that they would structure it that way. 
usually you'll find I've worked for government and been involved in, with government in many different uh, fashions. And usually you'll find that their best approach from their viewpoint is to skirt the large issues and come at them with a very small technicality that they can prove beyond a reasonable shadow that, uh, that no one really cares about in a, in a meaningful sense. But it allows them to get you in front of a um, judicial panel that can then make a decision in their favor and uh, in that sense the prosecution is rigged. So in other words, they may have him on some technicality like uh, an illegal use of a router or other government property where they claim that he has damaged them by you know, restricting the traffic flow by 12 packets a second or something <laughs> he was doing his snooping. And uh, then, then he'll pretty much have to admit that, and that's as far as they go. They don't bother to prosecute, and then they say, okay, 12 years in jail uh, or death, whichever comes first, you know, that kind of thing. And I've seen government work at that level, so, um, but at, also at that level, they're, they're very, again, as I say, cover your ass motivated. So they will be careful, especially with someone whose um, uh, profile is starting to rise, and we can hope exponentially. So let's help out, folks, to, uh, to make uh, Gary McInnes' profile go even higher. So Echelon, if you're listening... We're going after you too. What do you mean well, if? <laughs> <laughs> it's when, right? Yeah, yeah. And act, no, no, it's continuous. Continuous. It's not even when anymore. They, it, they are listening. Right. Um, I recently heard, and speaking of things above our heads, I recently heard you a response to the question of what the spiral of Norway really was on the Jeff uh, Rents program. Any further updates? And have you found anything within the Alter report that may be linked to this event? And one person says, seems like a perfect quote-unquote, space goat fart, and the pun is truly intended here. <laughs> yes, indeed. And um, and if we were to have it in the report, that's certainly where it would be. We don't have anything that I could specifically say that, you know, uh, uh, forecast the, this particular uh, space goat fart. Uh, but boy, it sure was one. I mean, anything that, uh, actually, the space goat fart entity and uh, the the whole construct there was guided a lot by um, uh, almost an addiction to screwy British comedies in the science fiction realm, such as uh, Red Dwarf, where they curiously uh, had one of their characters who was descended from a cat who could sniff out strange things in space, and he used to run around a lot saying, swirly thing alert, <laughs> swirly thing alert. And in that case, I think we need to also be saying swirly thing alert here. Uh, the Russian... Um, uh, podcasts that are out there seem to suggest that a lot of them, uh, the information is being withheld, but it's more than just the manifestation that we saw. In other words, there are some reports that areas around the path from the swirly thing back over towards Russia have had some level of damage to plants uh, that's unexpected. So it does seem to indicate that this indeed was a projection as opposed to any form of a missile with a, you know holes in the side or whatever. Also, there's a layer of discreteness that's now visible in some of the infrared photos that are coming out that suggest a, uh, a weird form of a magnet, mag, I would have to say a magnetic vessel. It actually suggests that there are these discrete swirling arms in there, and that what's interesting is the space between the arms maintains a ratio and a presence that seems to indicate that it is a, an alternating magnetic uh, banding, if you will, that is creating this effect. 
And then further, there are the rumors or the claims or the, you know, the puffery. I don't know how to really uh, interpret it at this stage. That uh, from, again, from Russian podcasts that suggest that the, the swirly thing is a nice technical effect, but not really the point. And that the whole point of it was the, uh, if you will, the dead black center of the swirly thing as it as it matured, and that that was the whole point of the demonstration, because the the idea is that you could use that that um, that that was actually a point of destruction, where the magnetic energies were, uh, if you will, shredding the ether or stopping the continuous creation of um, universe for a brief period of time. And so, if you could, if for instance, if someone shot a missile at you, you could aim the swirly thing at them and get this little black hole, so to speak. It's not not a hole, but uh, uh, a void. And when the missile hit the void, it would simply disintegrate. Uh, probably wouldn't even leave any rubble. Uh, so that's the claim, anyway, coming out of the podcasts. Uh, some of the podcast guys claim to be relatively connected into their version of the black ops. So, again, I don't know how to evaluate it, but it is a point of interest. I don't know if you felt as stupid as I did when they said that it was a missile. Is it missile, or could it be Harp from Norway? Uh, I don't see it as being a material. No, it is. It is certainly an energetic projection. So a harp kind of a thing. Yeah. Right. Right. Last year, you had linguistics, which predicted, quote unquote, disappearances of people, elites and or minions of the elite. You described them in such a way in that would that would be quite strange events. So far in 09, nothing as such has occurred. Do you foresee this to be pushed further into the future? Or is it something that, that it just off the radar? Well, no, there's, there's actually two issues here. I may have been wrong on the visibility of it, but we have certain indications that we weren't wrong in the event. So, in other words, uh, there indeed has been a level of disappearances that are being, um, uh, I don't want to say covered, well, they are, they're being covered up by uh, other explanations and some of the other manifestations are actually showing up relative to that. So I was probably wrong uh, 100% on the visibility aspect of it, and we'll probably see the disappearance word itself come up at a much higher level in the future. But the actual uh, structure of things, where we said disappearances will cause anxiety within the powers that be, which will cause the following effects in terms of enlargement of bodyguard units, and, all of the, and the other effects that are forecast, we're seeing the other effects forecast. And we have noted a number of uh, uh, prominent individuals that have uh, died under mysterious circumstances or have uh, suicided or something along these lines. Now, some of these are probably quite legit deaths. Uh, some of those that we've been informed of that have a very high uh, profile. Uh, I've gotten emails from people that said, hey, hey, this don't, don't believe this. This particular headline is not true. I was there, and, and here are the issues. And most of those emails I just... Um, uh, store away. I mean, there's no point really getting into the details. If I'm correct, we'll see that the actual disappearance word come out in a higher level of visibility as we move into 2010. And some of this stuff does shift. I mean, we, we do get a forward build on that, but we still have, the last time we did the run, we still have the disappearance uh, subset still ticking along. So it's uh, much more likely a, one of those progressing themes. Again, the visibility is, is an issue. In a controlled media, it's awful hard to decide what is accurate and what isn't. But we do have people, for instance, in Europe that have noticed a very large increase in the cadres of bodyguards around prominent individuals all over the place that is disproportionate to the um, economic times. 
Maybe Berlusconi needed a few more bodyguards the other day. In Italy. He needed at least one good one. Yeah. Uh, in your September report, you had documented Andrew Basciago as one yes. of the official whistleblowers of that the Alta. No, no, pre- no, no. As, as meeting the requirement. I mean, I'm not anointing him or anything. I'm just saying that the words he's expressing have met a certain uh, level of um, uh, the forecast language that we had. I want to be real clear about that. Okay. I'm not trying to say that this guy is legit. Everybody presents their information and they stand on their own. The fact that his um, uh, presentation of his visual image when taken to a university that had a very high level of resolution um, uh, computer screen uh, validates his paper sure goes a long way towards saying this fellow's a stand-up guy. I'm still listening to the interview that he and I did, and I just love what he had to say at the same time. Do you think he's telling the truth? Do you foresee him as, uh, and his material, becoming a major staple in the years to come? The, there, there's two separate issues there. There's what we have in the data, and then there's my personal opinion. Uh, what we have in the data suggests that his uh, presentation of life on Mars uh, is indeed a staple and will just uh, grow and grow and grow at a fairly steady rate. Uh, then you're asking whether or not I think he's legitimate in his uh, statements and other claims. I have no way of validating any of his other uh, statements about the government, about going to Mars, or any of this other stuff. Teleportation. Correct. There's nothing in what he says that is incongruous when a particular level of analysis is done. So we do this level of analysis called SCED. I'm having to apologize here. We're getting another hit from the Pineapple Express. Uh, but... Um, We do this analysis called SCED. Uh, Subject knowledge elucidates the domain. It's a training you get when you uh, get into debating and that kind of thing, if you're at a very good debating school. You learn to analyze language and what people are saying uh, within the context of the domain and see whether they step out of the domain with the language. We've found no instance of that uh, with his testimony uh, of his past. In other words, his, uh, his statements and the detail that he has are all congruous with the overall themes and are congruous with the times in which he stated that they existed and none of the language that he's using now to describe those times past uh, is in any way in, uh, reliant on today's knowledge. Uh, so uh, I would have to say on a personal level, I'm not doubting him. Uh, I'm not believing him because I never believe anything. As an educated person, I will hold up an idea, model it without having to accept it. And that's where I'm at. I'm modeling his information. I find nothing incongruous with it. And I haven't accepted it as part of my um, uh, model of universe, but I haven't rejected it either. Uh, most other uh, whistleblowers that we run across that say, well, I've scooted to Mars or, you know, I saved the planet from another timeline or any of this kind of stuff. You can take that in your model and kick it out pretty damn quick. Uh, the The issue with Andrew here is the congruity of the language, the way the whole thing fits and the physical uh, information he's presented in his paper. I find that quite compelling. If you ever have a chance to look at those photos in a in in a very high level resolution monitor, you will be quite shocked. One of the common tactics of the powers that be is to quote unquote hide hints of knowledge of controversial or conspiratorial project or data in plain sight. 
In fact, not only has this been done in the past, it can be argued that the mainstream placement of such esoteric or taboo subjects has ramped up exponentially over the years, especially with the ubiquitous uh, nature of television and internet today. It seems like they've stopped fighting the tide, but now use it to their advantage. How has the massive diversification and specification of television shows and websites since 1997 affected half-past humans' data mining techniques Do you have to rewrite your algorithms when, for example, Disney produces four movies in two years, having mostly to do with space, ETs, and time travel? We don't rewrite the algorithms, but I constantly have to tune the lexicon. So, for instance, I have to go on in and write a filter that screens out all of the descriptive language that was used for the movie 2012. Uh, I have to do it for all kinds of movies, and this is why it's such a royal pain and so much work, is because in that sense, yes, I have to stay abreast of... Uh, the uh, current uh, popular culture in my screening process so that I don't have my data skewed by what's coming out from Hollywood. Right. That's exactly why this question was asked. Many of uh, your subsets focus on terms that have a negative emotional impact. And you've explained in the past why you do this because of the shock factor, the discussions that surround emotional topics, the newsworthy nature of negative events, etc. Correct. All events are, for the most part, linked. A listener of yours might imagine that you may not want to only talk about the negative things that you have significant probabilistic outcomes. Can you comment on the positive subsets? Maybe one of you have a significant amount of confidence regarding events that are to unfold in the near future. Yeah, there are positive subsets that uh, provide us with the potential for a very cool um, uh, planet Earth here post-2013. Most of the positive subsets are coming from the space goat farts, entity and are related to the new electrics so in one way hang on a second here <coughs> in one way the um the uh, positive future could be seen as uh, post 2012 we all get through it and we say Phew. and at the same time there's been enough chaos that there is a release of hidden technology from the black ops kind of guys and that's what pumps up the the new electrics or it could be that there is a uh, um, science fiction story effect going on here where because so many people believe that we've been successful with the uh, new, new electrics already in the shadow ops world and that all they are doing is duplicating that, that they rush on out and do just that, duplicate, and thus release the stuff in an independent stream. We, we frequently see the, uh, uh, this occur in universe where... It's really not an, uh, uh, an issue of um, ownership of ideas. I don't think there's any concept, real concept in the, in the sense of ownership of uh, new and original thoughts. Because of the way that humanity is constructed, you're more, mostly just an antenna for um, uh, radiation. You stand around, a thought radiates towards you, you happen to catch it, you happen to act on it, and you become associated with it. Uh, Buckminster Fuller was also of this opinion, that he, he used patents not to uh, aggrandize his ego, but merely as a way of recording his ability to affect the universe around him in what he called Experiment B. And in, in my time, patents have uh, taken a different turn and are just a tool for the powers that be to suppress information, so I didn't go the patent route after one or two brief experiences with it. And I've taken another way of uh, tracking my ability to affect universe in what I call Experiment C. And, uh, and I'm using the re bot reports that way. 
sort of makes some sense. It does. It does. And and folks, a lot of the questions I'm reading tonight come from all of you because of the nature of this show. You had so many questions. And a lot of people who are submitting questions are very scientifically oriented. So sometimes we're going to have to repeat a question once or twice just to make sure that we all understand it. But this one, I hear Richard C. Hoagland talk about this all the time. There is an amazing correlation to specific locations on Earth that other planets in the solar system have uh, uh, were repeated instances of large anomalies occur. Not even here, but in other planets. For example, the giant red spot, I'm not sure if this person means Jupiter, Mauna Loa, the volcano in Hawaii, Olympus Mons, etc. I think he means latitude 19.5. Your Terra entity sets, whose probabilistic projections have grown significantly throughout 2009, indicate that some major activity may be on the real horizon. Do you run calculations on the correlation coefficients for the hyperdimensional geometry subsets and the Terra entity sets to see if the data suggests that the major events might occur on the sacred geometry points on the Earth? Great question. Um, great question, and the answer is yes. <laughs> I do, do indeed run uh, such uh, correlations. I have for years. I've got a couple of globes here that I altered to show the uh, standard... Um, Merkaba points, then a further level for the octahedronal points, and then I tessellated it even further to go into icosahedronal, uh, and one level, two levels of tessellation beyond that. So I've got a fairly good um, uh, hyperdimensional model of the planet here, and we constantly relate our geographic references, such as they are allowed to come through in our software, to these points as we go along. That was what led us years ago to be able to say, oh, there's going to be an earthquake in Hawaii and it's going to be 6.3. Turned out that indeed they, they first claimed it was 6.3 and then downgraded it to 6.1, but it was within our time frame and, and uh, on Hawaii. Now, we'd kind of screwed up because I thought it would be uh, on the 50th parallel as opposed to the 50th state, but I was misreading some of the data at the point. But in any event, yes, the, uh, the answer is that we do cross-correlate to that. We see a lot of information relating to that. For instance, uh, I suspect that there is a precursor to a, um, a grand mall seizure of the planet, if you will, that we should have a cracking, a significant cracking of the Pacific Plate. And I believe that it will be along on these uh, tessellated points between two major hyperdimensional uh, uh, nexuses. Not necessarily the 19.47 uh, but perhaps one tessellation above that, slightly co closer to the equator. And every time I think about of latitude 19.5 and the tetrahedron, I think when you, you said the word Merkaba, it immediately, before you said it, it came to mind. But you're speaking about the Pacific Ocean. Right now, there's a, a volcano erupting in the Ring of Fire in, in the Philippines. You think there's a correlation there? Oh, correct. That's all quite related. And we should see much more volcanism uh, as we progress here because... And my overall theory is that the windings on the sun are creating a giant um, uh, squeeze through a magnetic containment vessel that we happen to call the solar system and in which we happen to live. Such a uh, theory as I'm proposing here affects uh, everything at the solar system level, the sun, all the way down into the planetary level, including all the way down into life on the planet. So we'll all be experiencing the effects of what we call the big squeeze. And one of the predictable effects of the big squeeze is a much greater level of volcanism on all planets. Is there any suggestion in the subsets that the sacred geometric uh, locations of the Earth may become more active? Yes, indeed there is, but we've been very dismissive of that because we're rapidly approaching a point where it will be difficult to find places on the planet that are not so 
disposed to uh, um, uh, seismic activity and strange weather and so on. And it becomes extremely repetitious for us to dig that out of the data. Plus, it is a huge data set now relative to the Terra entity. This one is from somebody who took your ALTA report and just dissected it. Have you or anyone who you discussed the data with tried uh, to identify potential areas that would positively correlate with multiple predictive subsets? For example, this listener, using three of your subsets, postulates, A, the Terra entity subset suggests an extreme winter resulting in damage or damaged underground utilities, natural gas lines getting too cold for effective operations. B, the diaspora subset indicates that hundreds of thousands of humans will be on the road due to extreme of climate that will descend from the jet stream in late December. And C, the direct impact of the climate disruption on the transshipment of goods and even information subsets become more stressed, leading to shipment breakdown. Therefore, seeing these events makes one think, where might one event actually become the cause for another? And this listener tried to locate areas where such an extreme climate event would shock the most likely unprepared area so badly that all the three subsets above would be irrelevant. What do you have to say about that? What'd they find? <laughs> Did they find a, a cool spot? I'm actually voting uh, at this point for the UK and Northern Europe. Well, here's what he said. The Seattle... Puget Sound area where you are from, Cliff, last year, yeah. you had record snowfall events where people have potentially never seen such accumulations. If the jet stream were to fluctuate off of the Pacific coast enough to allow sub-zero Arctic winds to freeze your very shallow pipes, since it rarely freezes there, and the pipes are not deep, and commuting and transportation were to become very effective because your driver's are not accustomed to driving responsibility or cautiously, <laughs> and many technological industries that are located in your area may not get to port A. Have you identified areas that fit multiple subsets and have significant correlation coefficients for matching scenarios for potential locations for these events? And then I have B and C, if you'd like to respond to A. Um, yeah, for A, yes, indeed, we have. Puget Sound was one of those we looked at, but the probability for the impact on Puget Sound is mitigated by... Of extremely strange effects occurring in Alaska, so the they it would have been a very good hit, would have been a very good correlation if the jet stream hadn't split over Alaska this year. Because it did so, we're now looking antipodally, and therefore, even though they think they're prepared for it, we think it'll be Britain, uh, Greater Britain, including Ireland, and then the northern part of Europe will get hit with uh, extremely um, uh, disruptive weather, which may be also oscillating. Extreme cold followed by a week of extreme uh, precipitation followed by a week of, of extreme cold, etc. Then B, do you attempt, even if you do not pose them in your alter reports, to take the various subsets together to locate the most probable areas of effect? We have in the past... Uh, it's a great deal of work. We did not do so with this particular run uh, be because of the uh, impetus to do so was removed in the sense that the reason that I'd done so in the past was that I had some people that were willing to take the risk that I would be wrong. They paid for the bandwidth for that to occur and then for the extra processing. They've apparently um, uh, had it proven that it was worth their while, but they're also been hit by the economic situation and they're not doing uh, the kind of investing that they used to, so they don't need the service anymore. So there's really no drive for it. And see, he asked it with trepidation. And he even said, don't ask it if you don't want to, but I will. Is this event going to occur around 
the Detroit, Michigan area, another area of already significant economic stress, coupled with extreme winters and populations that would potentially flood south to escape the deadly cold. That's uh, quite probable. We saw, I mean, I hate to have to be the bearer of bad news, but here was the issue. When we first started doing this for North America, or rather, let me put it this way. Let me step back a year. We'd had this situation uh, arise where we'd had, um, if you will, vertical banding of weather uh, across the whole planet. And uh, Earth was having a vertical band that would go from the pole down to the uh, uh, equator, and it would shift along with the rotation. And these were uh, new and, and slightly different. We'd forecast those. And then about a year ago, we'd forecast that there would be a change into this lateral banding that would be countercyclical in the two hemispheres, and it would lead to a situation of extreme cold in, say, the uh, northern latitudes between 40 and 60, but perhaps extreme warm between 60 and 80, so that the Arctic would melt at the same time that we'd all be freezing our toes off down here in, in uh, lower North America. And that's exactly what's uh, uh, started to develop. We, we did see the split in the jet stream over Alaska, which means that the jet stream area was driven off by a high that covered almost all of the Alaska area. This caused the jet stream to split north and south, taking the cold air north and over the Rockies down towards the central part of Canada, which resulted in the extreme cold in Canada, which will also sweep further south into North America at the same time that a portion of the jet stream went south from Alaska, inter interconnected and hit us first with extreme cold. We had a very cold uh, week here, and that's been followed by a, it's now joining with the uh, Pineapple Express. So there's uh, this will be aired on the 18th, so there's a possibility that say sometime in the week of the 20th, that if the jet stream uh, continues to join with the Pineapple Express from the warmer latitudes, which are just bringing in huge amounts of precipitation, then both of those may join on the other side of the Rockies and come down with a giant level of snow and cold over uh, the central area of the U.S., probably all the way over to the um, uh, East Coast, and that would include Detroit, etc. So, Question, global warming, in your opinion, Man-made or solar-produced? Not a chance it's man-made. Absolute bullshit. That's what I expected you to say. Having said that, the Copenhagen meetings that are taking place, do you see a global carbon tax happening just to unite the world and to tax us all? Our data suggests that won't happen, uh, that the forces against it and the chaos developing uh, will preclude this. However, let me state that in the previous two uh, um, issues of the shape of things to come, we'd, uh, we'd pointed out the period of November when Obama and his people would be running around trying to solve some sort of international crises. Well, the international crises turned out not to be war as we'd anticipated, because we always get screwed up when we get down into the detail layer, but rather related to another forecast we had had about whistleblowers who would release some stuff that would bring the planet to its knees. We thought it would be a UFO kind of stuff, but it was related to the climate gate. And so now we have a juxtaposition of these two sets. And so we have the uh, whistleblower set that created the chaos at climate gate also er, 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 with climate gate at the Copenhagen thing, also now manifesting in further leaks of other information. The walking out of all of these nations is not as is being described on the mainstream press. 
It's very real. They'll never sign it. Therefore, it might get down to the point where they may sign it, but it's meaningless because it's, you know, 11 countries, three countries, something along those lines. And in the meantime, we should see the thrashing around in the background as the um, uh, climate Nazis uh, are running around trying to impose this uh, uh, treaty on everybody. And that would fulfill the international flying around of the Obama administration, as we had noted. Again, also, we see that there's a certain level of urgency involved, so we've nailed the emotional aspects of it because we now have um, uh, the Toady Brown, the guy who, who you know, is the Prime Minister of England, he's going over there early, all of this kind of stuff, trying to save this conference. So all those conditions are being met in climate gate. If that is the case, that we continue to see the language build that way, then our data suggests by February or so it'll be absolutely meaningless. It'll, and so even if they sign it, it'll have no net effect. And by the way, folks, uh, when we refer to climate gate, we're referring to the hacking of the University of East Anglia that started all of this right now. But I'm surprised, or I guess I shouldn't be surprised, that the Obama administration or other world leaders have not really made comments about the discoveries of all these emails on information looking at how much this was hoaxed. <laughs> it's goofy, isn't it? Yeah. I wonder what Al Gore is saying about those emails. Now, you have mentioned that the Earth Changes subset is the largest and has been growing. It is currently five times larger than any other aggregate set and two times greater than all the other sets combined. Is that because any significant earth-changing event, i.e. earthquake, tsunami, or a drastic jet stream alteration, would result in the other subsets occurring? Example, massive economic decay or diaspora events, thus leading more hits back to the earth-changes events? Is that why it would be the largest? Because if any significant event in the earth-changes subset would probably be the precursor to other subset events? It's probably mostly the latter in the sense that any um, event within the Terra entity subsets could is a, a precursor to other uh, subsets triggering off. However, they are much more uh, internal to the Terra entity. No, the, actually, to a certain extent, that's true that uh, because everything is interrelated and no two earthquakes are uh, separate events on the same planet, we, and we have a situation where economics dominates all, to a certain extent, the, the, the premise is true there, that the Terra entity is the largest, the Earth changes are the largest, simply because everything is dependent upon it. But also there's another reason that I think may be more key, and that is that because we work at an archetype level and humans are bound to and, and are creatures of this planet, and, it, and we look at it at a different level of um, connection, that it's a, uh, a, a yin planet and we are yang creatures, neither of which could exist without the other, and the bonds between them are a complexity beyond our ability to understand. I actually believe that it is that bond that drives our linguistic associations with the planet, and that's why we have the Terra entity the way we do. Bear in mind that when we first started our work in 1997, the very first sets that, that came out all of, in fact, our whole model space was 100% structured towards economics, and yet the very first sets that came out were all archetypically related to the planet and the sun. Totally unexpected, blew me out of the water and started me on this path. Now, you have mentioned in the past that uh, your Alta reports are read by many, and this is a question I've asked you before, but it's, it's okay for somebody to ask it again. You have mentioned that the, in the past that your Alta reports are read by many... Can I get you to hang on just a second, please? Yes, you just got to grab the phone here. Yeah. Hello? Okay, I'm on the phone. Sorry about that. Okay. Yeah, pizza delivery, right? 
I know it was George Urie. He was just calling to BS for a while. <laughs> you have mentioned in the past that your alter reports are read by many areas of human governments and society. We certainly hope so, in hopes that the events such as the Israeli mistake do not come to pass, given how the predictive language the bots have generated would suggest an event that was not foreseen occurring after what would be planned as a routine bombing mission. How much effect do you, does your publicized predictive set have, do you speculate, in actually decreasing or increasing the probability of certain events from happening? Um, I'd rather not say. I'd rather not even say why I don't want to say. Um, give us a hint. The reason is that if I were to give details on my speculation on this, it would change the variables in the equation that we know to be operating. And so I can say that we, myself, um, Igor, the other people associated with the project here, have uh, evidence to support the idea that indeed we do make a difference. And that it is my hope that one day we shall be able to produce such a report that it will be 100% wrong because there will be enough of a difference involved. That, that'll never come. But um, we do make a difference. And, and I can't speculate any further. I'd, I'd rather not go into it any further than that. That's fine. And I may have mentioned this in the past show that you and I did. But I, I'm in communication with somebody who I trust who was a former, who was related to the NSA and CIA, and he reads her reports. And he told me that the Israelis and the Mossad used that report and were taking under consideration what you said about November the 2nd, and they may indeed change that date. Whether this is true or not, I don't know, but I just wanted to relay that information to you. I'd rather not comment on that, too. <laughs> this is this is great, though. I mean, if that's true, then, um, you know, uh, uh, shalom and peace to us all. Uh, glad <laughs> exactly. that they're starting to wise up, you know? Right, right. Now, the supporting sets for the decay of the planetary markets include language suggesting huge impacts on the social order in China and a shift to internal isolated market structure for India. How much of that data actually comes from the millions of Chinese and Indian websites and fora? And I have another another uh, branch of that question, but if you'd like to take the first one first. Uh, probably, I would say, 40% of that data, somewhere in that realm. If we just take the uh, lexicon as a whole uh, and slice it and dice it based on language, we have a number of the um, uh, India-centric languages, including Farsi at the far side, all the way through Pali and some of these others that we monitor, as well as English. We also are able to get a a decent percentage of uh, Chinese dialects, bear in mind that there's, you know, at least 140 that I'm aware of. So, uh, but about 40% of that data is coming from our ability to hit those servers. It would have, would have and has been higher in the past, but China has become extremely restrictive both ways. Not only are they screening stuff out coming into them, they're also screening uh, the ability to touch their servers from the outside. Not to pry into your specifics, of your system, but how does your system do it with foreign languages like Chinese and Persian, for example? Um, well, we have a number of the, the lexicon is just basically a huge list of words. Mm -hmm. And since we're talking multi-byte languages, I have a multi-byte um, representation of the words from various Chinese and, uh, and Farsi or Persian dialects. Right. 
and uh, they're listed in uh, the lexicon. So we might have a word in there, cost, or uh, that might list price. And we might find that we have the Chinese words and variants for the cost of doing business and everything. As we go through in our context there as well was uh, Pali and Hindi and um, uh, Pathan and um, various different other dialects. We would have those words for cost and price because they are an essential part of the context of the uh, economy of the planet. And many people in their conversations on their local uh, um, uh, languages would, of course, reference this, and so we can pick it up that way. Does that make sense? Yes, and that's why I ask you, because, for example, one word in Cantonese might mean something different in, in, uh, in Mandarin, or maybe in subset languages of the Farsi language. Yeah, but that's that's not true at a multi-byte representation. That's not true at the computer representation of it, in the sense that it's not the same exact multi-byte uh, character set for the each word because they're in different language sets. And those are easily identified with the multi-byte language headers for the character sets you're working with. It's not like ASCII used to be where we had 256 bits yes. and we had to deal with everything that way. Now we've got a, a plethora of... Uh, descriptors around each character set that we're dealing with in each font. So when our spiders go through, that, that stuff is just stripped right off and we know exactly what we're dealing with. Have you noticed a spatial correlation between where your bots gather their data to events that have a higher probability of occurring based on their location and significance to who is, even indirectly, suggesting what? Uh, no, and we'll never do that simply because we don't track the who connected to the what they're saying. And uh, we, while we do know where we're getting the information from, and in a general sense, we know who's, who's putting the information there, we never keep any of that stuff. It's just stored at this uh, rather obtuse level. And we don't have any way to cross-connect to geography. That's a very interesting question, though. I'd never really considered. If I'd, if I'd wanted to rewrite the software, I could do that. Uh, but at this point, we can't. And this one? Now we're getting into the economic parts, which uh, uh, I'm fascinated with, and the interaction with your alter reports. The data suggests that corporate globalism or planetary corporate fascism will be offered to the peoples of the planet over the next year with the largest emotional push for the global central banking system and conversion of all currencies to digital wealth. Is this a repeat of the instances where George Bush Sr., famously stated the New World Order line, and when Bill Clinton also repeated statements regarding New World Order? In other words, are your bots suggesting that those initial statements may actually be presented to the population as so many prophecies have predicted to occur at the end of the age anyway? Thank you very much for listening to the one-year anniversary of The Veritas Show with our special guest, Cliff High. Cliff High's website is halfpasthuman.com. We still have two more hours to go with Cliff, commercial-free, as always. Head on over to our website, veritasshow.com, click on subscribe, and join us in the members area to tune in to the second part, two more hours of this great show. And remember, I have included a bonus interview with Zachariah Sitchin, which is only available to members. We'll take a short break, listen to a song by the band Eat More Cake, entitled Red Sky. And at the end of the show, I have included another song of this great band. So don't miss it. We'll be right back with more of Cliff High.
This is Nick Redfern, and you're listening to The Veritas Show.